Well, as you traveled up to Pickerel Lake Lutheran Bible Camp, I warned every parent, I said, watch for the sign on the fence. It's hard to see, but it's in the area after you pass by kind of a state park entrance. Watch for the sign. It's hard to see. It hasn't been painted since the Bible camp has started probably, 50 or 75 years. And the farmer doesn't exactly trim the weeds around the fence that the sign is hung on. So you got to watch closely. I don't know how many times a parent would call. I don't know where we are. We didn't see any sign. And then one time, to top it all, a parent calls and said, hey, we're back on I-29. You have to see, you, when you go to camp, you get off at exit 207. I think it's 207. You start making your way towards Aberdeen, then you take a right. And then you take another right when you get to some gas station thing and a couple more things. And I say, after you got a state park thing, watch for this sign. Because if you don't see the sign, the road keeps going, and then it goes like this, unless you intentionally go like this. And if you go like this, you end up back at 229. I believe it's exit 224. Is that right? 224. 17 miles you made it. Well done, good and faithful servant. However, I don't think that's the destination they had in mind. You see, when you miss the sign you miss the destination. If you stay at the sign, what happens? This isn't supposed to be a trick. If you stay at the sign, what happens? You miss the destination. If you miss it, you miss the destination. If you stay at the sign, you miss the destination. The point of the sign is to get you to the destination. This morning we read and we get to experience a sign. The question is, will we get to the destination? And all of us kind of have in mind the same destination. Joy, hope, peace, contentment, security. That's the destination that everyone wants. Those are the things we do every day. We make decisions to arrive at that destination. So often we miss that destination, though, because we've missed the sign or we've stayed at the sign. And we miss the sign because sometimes we're so familiar with the sign. How many times have you heard the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 or feeding the 4,000 or walking on water? We miss the miraculous event because of familiarity. Or we miss the miraculous event because it's so outside of the norm, we just kind of set it off to the side. This morning, we need to hop back in the imagination station, as we've done before, to allow God's Word to recapture us with the magnitude of this miracle that we see. So I need three volunteers this morning. You're not going to have to talk into a microphone. I need three volunteers. I got one. I got two. Three. Come on forward. Three volunteers. All right. Why don't you come over here? You're going to have a little committee meeting in a second. What I've got here is Jesus had loaves and fish, but if he would have lived in our day, I'm sure he would have had Curious George fruit snacks. Think. So I've got one package of Curious George fruit snacks. I think there's one, two, three, four, five, six, I believe there's seven. There might be eight or nine, but I believe there's seven fruit snacks. What we need you to do, and you've got one basket, we need you to take this, come up with a plan, Everybody in this room has to be fed. 
You've got seven curious George. Why don't you go over there? Hey, take your committee over there. Take your committee over there. We'll give you a moment to strategize. Everybody else, you can sign into your Facebook accounts, Twitter, or whatever. Surf the internet for just a moment. Let's give the committee a second to meet here and see what they come up with. I've got to do a quick count and see how many people we've got. Got about 100. Hmm. All right, so we've got 100 people just to let the committee know. We've got 100 people. About a, Okay, perfect, perfect. Thanks. How, how many do you think we're going to get? Let's start there. How many do you think we'll feed? Thir 13 ways. All right. Hey, how long do you think that'll take you guys to get that done? 13 ways. So you think, well, how many are we going to feed where everybody's going to leave full? Think. How many are going to leave full, kind of from what you got? We got nobody leaving full from what you got. Well, let's pass the fruit snacks out to somebody. Give them away. Give them away. Let's deliver them out. Let's see how many can eat this morning. Just grab one, pass it along. We'll see how far it goes. How many of you this morning would be a little surprised if everybody left here full? Okay, some of you, we need to talk afterwards. If you think seven fruit snacks are going to meet everybody's need, you can have a seat. Thank you. Now, if we fed everybody in this room this morning and everybody was full, how many of you would go, holy crap? I hope so. Jiminy Christmas thing. That would be a big deal. A hundred people on seven fruit snacks. Can you imagine? Now take for a moment. You've gone three days without food. Three days without food. Would anybody here be a little anxious this morning if I lifted up a pack of fruit snacks? Anybody maybe try to make a way to the front? Here, I'll take that. Well, there's nothing left. All right. I think there'd be some anxious people in the crowd. I haven't eaten for three days, and I lifted up a pack of fruit snacks. There might be some crowding going on. Some of you might be sharpening the elbows like you did at Thanksgiving buffet table, trying to make your way because... If you see a pack of fruit snacks, you know that ain't feeding the whole crowd. Now, you haven't eaten for three days. Now, take the hundred and multiply it by, I don't know what, but there's 4,000 men. Most scholars believe that there was 20,000 total in the crowd. I'm going to go conservative just in case there's anybody that doesn't totally believe the Bible and they believe the Bible's exaggerating the 4,000 number. So let's say the Bible is exaggerating the 4,000 numbers. So let's go a little bit smaller. Let's say there's a crowd of 10,000. So a crowd of 10,000. Haven't eaten in three days, and now let's kind of go through the scenario. Jesus, hey, uh, guys, could you get something to eat for the crowd? Well, can you imagine the committee meeting? Hey, uh, what do we have? What, you got two, three, two, seven. Hey, who's got the fish? Oh, two pieces. Uh, Jesus, we've got... Seven loaves and two fish. Do you want to step out back and the 13 of us can eat for a little while? No, 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 no. Feed the people. <clears throat> Jesus, um, how many are there? Seven. Seven loaves. And I can't count that high, Jesus. What? What do you want us to do? There, there's only seven. Feed the people. Now, can that just, no, 
Now, again, in reality, what do you think this person's doing that's receiving the order? Ah, what do you want me to do? Think, hey, someone start running towards the nearest town. Find us something, anything. Jesus, it's going to be about probably uh, 17 hours. We just got to run to Walmart quick, come back with a couple more loaves, and we'll be ready. No, feed them. Oh, okay. Can you, now, now I'm trying to work out in my mind, how does this work? 10,000 people and seven loaves. Let's just think of the logistics for a second. Oh, man. How am I going to get enough loaves for 10,000 people when I don't have enough baskets for 10,000 people? So I'm wondering, did the bread just kind of come down from heaven? Can you imagine enough bread raining from heaven for 10,000 people? I think we can eliminate that option because that would have been like a hailstorm that we've never seen. Can you imagine? Cover yourselves. Take cover. Okay, I'm not sure. Did they pass the bread? And then as they were passing the bread, the thing just kept growing? Did they just pass the basket and then one person would take out, something else would land in the basket? What? I mean, think about this. Think how much bread that would be and how many fish. How many of you have ever been to a potluck? Okay, how many people does a normal potluck feed? 125 to 150 usually, right? And that's from what? Two tables? And how full are those two tables? Okay, there's not a lot of space. Is there anything left on those two tables? Besides the green bean casserole when everybody's gone through. Think how much food is on those two tables for 125 people. Now, multiply it out because guess what? It tells us that everyone was satisfied. So this wasn't like, whew, I got my one fruit snack. I can make it back to town. No, this was, I'm good to go. I can walk back to town or I can walk back to my village wherever that may be. Because Jesus isn't in a metropolis here. Jesus isn't near McDonald's or a Walmart. This is critical to see. Jesus is on the outskirts because Jesus is with non-Jewish people. Jesus is is visiting the Gentile world doing this miraculous work with Gentiles, the ungodly people. So he's out there. they got a long ways to go, and he's got a very practical thing. Hey, I don't want them to faint when they're walking home. Let's get them some food. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Jesus cares about the people. He wants them to be able to get home. 4,000 men, maybe 10,000 total, upwards of 20 to 25,000 people fed seven loaves. Holy crap. I mean, come on. That does not happen every day. Not only does it not happen, guess what? Nobody claims to have it happen. This is serious. Think about this for a second. Now, those who make radical claims, they do what? They claim something that you can believe. Think of your local TV evangelist. I don't want to bang too much on the TV evangelist. However, there's something sketchy going on. There's a lot of guys by the name of Benny Hinn and others. They get these big crowds together, right? They get the big crowds together. They wave something here, a little, usually it's a handkerchief, right? They wave the handkerchief and then they invite you to come forward. Somebody's got a pain in their back or their back of their knee. People come forward. Oh, the, the pain is gone right? Well, who's going to be able to judge whether the pain's gone or not? No one. Think, I, I don't know if the pain's gone in the lower back. 
or not, you never see what? One of these TV evangelists say this, hey, I just fed 10,000 people with one package of fruit snacks. Why? It's unbelievable. Are you going to send money to buy a handkerchief to someone that says they fed 10,000 people off of a package of fruit snacks? Okay, no, and you would make fun of whoever did. Right? Let's be honest here. Nobody makes these radical of claims because they're what? Absurd. Absolutely absurd. Jesus is powerful. He fed 10,000 on seven loaves of bread. Wow. What does this say about this man? And what would it mean to our lives if we actually believed that this story was true? Well, let's think about it from this angle for a second. How did the people around Jesus respond to the sign? Some people were like, whoa, we've got a great prophet in our midst. Other people, what? They missed the sign completely. Look with me, if you would, in Matthew chapter 16 now. Matthew 16, a little bit later on, they've traveled a little bit of a distance now. They've had some more conversation. Jesus now talking with his followers, Matthew 16, verse 13. He says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Okay, this is it. This is the question right here. This is the million-dollar question for every person in all of eternity. And Jesus goes to his followers and says, Hey, who are people saying that I am? And the, the people respond by saying, Well, some say you're Elijah, a prophet from the Old Testament that's returning. Other people say just another great prophet. Maybe some people are saying you're Jeremiah coming back again. And Jesus, Jesus drills down and says, No, no, who do you say that I am, Peter? And Peter says, you're the Christ. That's a huge confession for Peter to make when he says, you are the Christ. Because Christ means Messiah. If you're, if you're in your Bible, Tom Wright, who is a theologian in Europe, actually makes the argument, and I would agree with this, whenever you see Christ in the Bible, you should just cross it out and write the word Messiah. Because that's what the word Christ means, Messiah. He's saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah. This is a big deal. The Messiah, this is the one they had been waiting for for thousands of years. Thousands of years they've been hanging on to these prophecies like we read in Isaiah that says someone's going to come and make all things right. That's what a Messiah does. A Messiah comes and does what? Fixes stuff. A Messiah comes and puts things in their right place. You've been around situations where Everybody gets the messianic complex really quick, right? It happens in politics all the time. Every four to eight years, we're like, oh, the Messiah is here. They're going to fix everything, right? It switches from group to group, person to person. A Messiah, they've arrived. They're going to make everything right. Peter is saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the one we've been expecting, the one we've been wanting. You see, Peter was given a gift by God that he was able to understand the signs, these miraculous events that pointed to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. If this story was true for us today, if, if we really believed it, we'd have no other response but to say, Jesus, you're the Messiah. In other words, 
Jesus, you're the one who's going to make everything right in my life. Jesus, you're the one through who the kingdom of God is going to come and be established forever. Jesus, you're the one through whom I'm going to have hope, joy, peace, and rest. If this story we believed to be true, we'd be saying that about Jesus. Because no one else can do this radical of a thing except the one who is the Messiah. This question comes up all the time. I get asked this a lot. Why were there not as many miracles today as there were in Jesus' day? Some people really struggle with this. Why aren't people healed today like they were healed in Jesus' day? I believe that people are healed today. I believe we can pray for healing and people are healed. But I do believe it's, on a, le- it's a lot less than what it was during Jesus' day. But I believe this is explainable in Scripture. It's actually the way it's laid out. The reason there was a lot more miraculous work when Jesus came is because it was intentionally a sign pointing to the identity of Jesus. A lot of people struggle with this and they go, I don't know if I have the faith because I'm not being healed or so-and-so is not being healed. That's not the issue at all. It's not because we have less faith than the original disciples had. Think of the original disciples. These guys were goofballs. I mean, I'm being serious here. This feeding of the 4,000, this happened days after what? Feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14. So a couple days earlier, these 12 were in the same situation. That time they had five loaves. In the same situation, they said, hey, Jesus, what are we going to feed these guys with? And what does Jesus do? Boom. They have 12 basketfuls left over. And a couple days later, they're back in the same situation. What are the disciples saying? Uh, Jesus, we only have seven loaves. Have they forgotten what they experienced just days before? And now catch this, what happens again. Matthew 16. Look with me at verse 5 in Matthew 16. When the disciples reached the other side, so that means they've left the feeding of the 4,000, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And now they start to converse amongst themselves. <laughs> Who was in charge of bringing the bread? Okay, they just experienced what I would consider to be top five, at least, miraculous events in history. They were there. They hand-delivered the bread. And now they're worried, where are we going to get bread? Okay, and miraculous events still happened had nothing to do with their faith. There was more miraculous events because the person of Jesus Christ was present. And when the person of Jesus Christ is present, the kingdom of God is there in fullness. Therefore, there was all these miraculous events done to point to us, point us to the reality of who Jesus is. Jesus does all of these signs so that we know where the destination is. It says in John chapter 2, when Jesus is at the wedding, and he turns water into wine. Some of you are like, hey, that's a much better miracle than the feeding of the 4,000. Water into wine, right? Sounds pretty good. What does he say there? He says, wow, this glory, changing water to wine, which is pretty impressive in and of itself, is what? Just pointing to a greater glory. All of the miraculous work that Jesus does is not an end in and of itself because guess what? Everybody that Jesus raised from the dead 
died again. Everybody that Jesus fed got hungry again. They're all pointing. They're signs pointing us to the greater glory. The greater glory is Jesus Himself. This morning, don't get so lost up in the familiarity of the miraculous story that you miss the destination. Also, don't get so caught up in the miraculous story that you just want to stay in the story. This happens to a lot of people. People read this story and they say, oh, Jesus, yes, if you have a little, bring a little to Jesus and Jesus will multiply it. That's not what the story is about at all. The story has nothing to do with you and me. The story is about what? Jesus, this one who has all the power in the world. So often we get caught in the story and we bring our little bit to Jesus. And guess what? Jesus does nothing with our little bit. And then what happens? We start to doubt Jesus. I'm like, hmm, ah, Jesus didn't do it for me. And I was told that Jesus can do a lot with a little. Well, you landed at the story rather than landing at what? Jesus himself. The miraculous event should point us to Jesus. And when we get pointed to Jesus and we land at Jesus, guess what happens? Our expectations totally change. Because Jesus reorients our understanding, gives us new desires and new passions, gives us contentment even in the midst of trouble. Are you stuck at the sign or have you arrived at the destination? We can get all excited today and it's, and it's fun. It's just, it's so much fun and I'd encourage you in your Bible reading, just exaggerate and, and reimagine these stories. I mean, we're having some fun with this little committee meeting stuff here, but can you imagine? This is just crazy stuff. I think we've got to read our Bibles that way. Somebody had sent me an email saying they're just rereading Matthew, trying to have the eyes of the miraculous, getting caught back up in the miraculous a little bit, maybe setting aside the logic for a little while. Because guess what? Logic doesn't work at all with what Jesus does. Just get caught up in it sometimes and, and think through some of the logistics of the miracles that Jesus does. And how does this even work? It just draws you into the greatness and the vastness of who Jesus is and what he's done. But dullness sets in in our hearts. Just like dullness sets in in the hearts of the original disciples, right? I mean, just days, dullness sets in. John Calvin, one person who helped start a reformation in the church, says this, Because daily a similar dullness creeps over all of us, we must be more careful never to let our minds be turned aside from reckoning the benefits of God. Very simply, he's saying this. We're all going to be prone to dullness. Therefore, we have to keep in front of us continually the benefits of God or the beauty of God. How do we do that? How do we do it so that we are constantly awakened and aware to who Jesus is, taken back by His greatness. Well, it begins by reading the Bible. And the reason we read our Bibles is not so that we gain so much knowledge, but we read our Bibles because it's in our Bibles that we encounter the living God. I want to help you understand this morning because some of us struggle so much with Bible reading. Our Bible reading is, is, the language I want to use is inappropriate this morning, is poor. And you know the word I want to use in front of poor. It's really bad. 
Our Bible reading, even in our church, I would contend it's really bad. Now, the reason we read our Bibles is not so we can get puffed up on knowledge of when and where Jesus was or, or characters from the Old Testament. But we read our Bibles because it's in the Bible that God's made known to us. So, for example, reading your Bibles every day is a rather new phenomenon in the last 125, 150 years. If you would have went to a Christian in the first 300 years of Christianity and said, hey, have you had your daily devotional? They would have looked at you and said, what? What's a daily devotional? They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a Bible at least for the first 300 years, if not for hundreds of years after that. So what did they do then? They gathered together regularly, as it says in the book of Acts, and even more than in other places, daily in the temple or in homes to break bread and to worship. They did that daily and regularly. Why? So that they could hear the Word of God. There would be a prophet there, and the prophet would speak a message from God. This still happens today. I would look at Shed and Chris. All around the world, not everybody has Bibles. People are oral learners. They go into villages and they just gather people and say, let's hear the story of this God, this Jesus. The beauty is you and I have a blessing. We have a Bible. We can encounter the living God every single day in our own homes, in our cars. No, not in your cars. Sorry. Not, do not text and drive or read and drive. Think. In your workplaces, wherever you are, you can encounter the living God. How do we stay refreshed and, and fight against the dullness that's coming? By being in the living word. Because it's in the scriptures that we encounter the living God. My heart for you this morning is not that you read the Bible so you know more, so we become smarter. My heart is that you encounter Jesus every single day. Because if you encounter Jesus every single day, everything else is going to take care of itself. You're going to have the necessary knowledge you need for the situations you find yourselves in. We need a daily encounter with the risen God. And we have that through His Word. Today and every day, we have an opportunity to hear and to sometimes see signs. Signs that point us to a greater reality. That reality is Jesus Himself. So what would it look like in my life if I actually followed the sign and went to Jesus as the Messiah? Well, when someone's the Messiah, I would contend it means three things. And we're going to dig into these three things the next three weeks. If we went to Jesus as our Messiah, it would mean this. We go to Him for our hope. We go to Him for our peace. And we go to Him for our joy. Isn't this what Christmas season is all about? Pursuing hope, peace, and joy? We sing about it, joy to the world. We sing about peace all the time. We sing about hope all the time. This is it. This is what Christmas is all about. Peace, joy, and hope. The question is, where are we going to look for it? Are we going to get it from our Messiah, Jesus? Or are we going to create a new Messiah that we hope gives us those same three things? It all comes down to who's going to be the Messiah, Jesus or your job, Jesus or athletics, Jesus or your relationships. 
Who's going to be your Messiah? The one who fixes everything, the one who gives you confidence, security, joy, hope, and peace. Can you imagine if everybody would have left here full this morning thanks to one package of George, Curious George fruit snacks? You would all leave here this morning going, oh, wow. Guess what? We should all leave here this morning going, oh, wow, 4,000 people at least off of seven loaves. Who is this man? This man is Jesus, your Messiah and my Messiah. Let's not miss the sign because when we miss the sign, we miss the destination. And I know this morning that none of you want to miss the destination. The sign's been laid out for you. You've heard it. Now will you confess that Jesus is the Messiah? Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for recording these events for us. God, I pray that now you would awaken our hearts, that you would take away our, uh, our desire to, to, to just be dull sometimes, that you would take away uh, our logistical challenges with these miracles and allow us to see them for what they are. God, awaken our hearts this morning to these events, to these activities that you've done. God, I pray that you'd burn them in our hearts and in our minds. And I pray this morning now that you would give each of us the same gift that you gave Peter, the gift of faith. Lord, I pray that right now, this morning, you'd give each person in this room the ability to say, Jesus is my Messiah. God, would you give us that gift right now? God, would you move upon anyone's heart this morning that has not professed faith? God, would you give them that gift this morning and say, Jesus is my Messiah? God, thank you for the signs. But most of all, thank you for yourself and the gift of Jesus. We offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.